Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guests for the hour today are um, Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott. Uh, well, perhaps not Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, but the next best things living historians, uh, Nathan Richardson, who performs as Frederick Douglass, and Noel, Renee Noel Felice, who performs as Lucretia Mott. Um, they were on the USU campus in June for the 2019 Benyon Teachers Workshop, which was titled Forward Out of Darkness, Gender, Media, and Suffrage in the United States, uh, sponsored by the Mountain West Center for Regional Studies and the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And ahead of that workshop, I was able to uh, speak with these living historians. The year 2020 marks the centennial of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote in the United States. Living historians Nathan Richardson and Renee Noel Felice perform as Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, honoring their amazing lives and legacies, which are as relevant today as they were 100 years ago. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Nathan Richardson and Renee Noel Felice. Right now, we take this extraordinary opportunity to speak, as it were, with Frederick Douglass and uh, Lucretia Mott. So, Frederick Douglass, welcome to the program. It's an honor. Good morning, fellow citizen. It is indeed a pleasure to be here speaking to you on uh, this Modern Era radio. And Lucretia Mott, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We thank thee for having us. Uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about uh, yourself, maybe a couple things we may not know about you. Well, uh, I was born on the eastern shore in Talbot County near St. Michael's around the year 1818. Of course, I do not know the date of my birth. Our slaves did not know the dates of their birth. The closest uh, we could come would be planting time, harvest time. Uh, I did end up choosing uh, February 14th as my birthday uh, because uh, my mother, uh, who I seldom saw, even during the light of day, who died when I was around six years old, I do remember she brought me a heart-shaped cake and and called me her little valentine, and so for that reason, I I chose uh, February 14th as my birthday. Hmm. Uh, Lucretia Mott, uh, tell us maybe a thing or two we maybe wouldn't know about you. I was born on Nantucket Island. Nantucket Island was, um, for me, all my life a a paradise. Um, It was uh, purchased uh, back in the 1600s, and a number of Quakers settled there. And because it was an island, uh, it uh, supported itself by uh, whaling and uh, fishing. And so the women there became uh, very self-sufficient. And I began to go to a Quaker school when I was six years old. And uh, when my father went off to sea and didn't come back for uh, three years, and we feared that he was gone, I became the oldest child, and I helped my mother in all things, in addition to going to school all day long. And that was a wonderful preparation uh, to later go out into the world and to uh, try to set things right as, as right as they had been on Nantucket. Hmm. Frederick Douglass, uh, I know education has been very important uh, to you. You, you equate that with, with freedom. 
um, and, and antithetical to, to slavery. Well, absolutely. All the things that I was denied uh, were the motivations uh, for me to uh, gain my freedom, uh, to learn to read and write, uh, and to fight for the abolition of slavery and uh, for the right to vote. So all those things were denied me in my lifetime, and those were the things that uh, that motivated me uh, to become an abolitionist. And I believe you, you were given some education, but then... I was taken away, and you had to uh, uh, learn sort of in secret. Well, absolutely. Uh, I, I was sent uh, from uh, the eastern shore on Captain Anthony's plantation to uh, his brother, uh, his brother's uh, house uh, in Baltimore. Uh, and when I arrived uh, there uh, in in Point, Baltimore, uh, at the home of Mister Hugh and Sophia All, it was to my divine providence, and Mrs. All uh, would teach me a few letters of how to read and write, and once I had those letters, once I had a few words uh, to describe my misery as a slave, my mind was free, and thus my body had to follow in. So I had an insatiable appetite for learning and reading, and I would uh, trade words, uh, letters uh, with the young boys as I walked them back and forth to school, Captain uh, Mr. All's son. Master Thomas, I would walk him to school, and I would trade a few letters from his notebook or a word or two. Uh, and then eventually, I, I was able to purchase my own school book. I, I purchased uh, a copy of the Columbian Orator, where I taught myself uh, mostly how to read and write from that. Hmm. Lucretia Mott, uh, you're, you're known as a staunch abolitionist. Where did that come from? Is that your religious beliefs? Where do, why are you an abolitionist? Well, of, of course, it, it had to do with, with religion uh, and in the belief, the Quaker belief, that uh, all, uh, all men and women were created equal. But uh, when I was uh, quite a young girl, I saw uh, a woman uh, being flogged in, in the square uh, on Nantucket. And it was the first time that I ever understood that... Uh, human beings could mistreat one another so brutally. And also I remember reading uh, about um, uh, enslaved people, and uh, I just uh, thought it was um, the most awful thing. Uh, my heart just burned uh, with, with indignation. Uh, of course, I always uh, tried to follow, as, as friends are... Um, uh, 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 want to do uh, the inner light, but I never understood uh, mistreatment as um, as a way of uh, proceeding in the world. Frederick Douglass, you were, you for a time were flogged on a on a very regular basis, and you you've written very movingly about what that does to a man, uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally. I certainly, well, the story that I tell of a colored Maryland boy uh, from out of slavery uh, would be a fair representation of uh, any slave. Uh, certainly, I perceive most of my floggings uh, under the servitude of the notorious slave breaker, Mr. Edward Covey. Of course, this was after I had become a worthless slave. An educated slave was a worthless slave, and after I learned something about how to read and write, uh, they sent me back to Baltimore, and 
put me under the servitude of Mr. Covey, uh, and they thought they would break my spirit. And so for about six months, I got the lash almost every day until I decided I would fight back. After that, it ended my career uh, as a slave, and I never got the whip again. I got into some fights, but I never took the lash willingly again after that. You, I want to follow up. You, you say an uh, educated slave was considered a worthless slave. Why? Well, a slave master, in order to uh, perpetuate uh, the, the institution of slavery, needed to keep the slave a docile creature, uh, uneducated, uh, uninterested, and only concerned about the, the tasks that were given to him by his master. So he did not want you to write, to read, uh, have any of the normal uh, things to enlighten a person uh, that our slave masters or their children would enjoy. And so we were kept uh, uh, in the in the dark, uh, in the dark until uh, we were able to uh, have some education. And uh, and once I got that, I certainly uh, tried to make sure that my fellow men and women in bondage uh, were able to read and write as well. I taught Sabbath school uh, most Sundays. Every time I could get an opportunity to to go into a church or a building, uh, I would teach Sabbath school. Uh, certainly the, the underhand of that would be that I was trying to teach my fellow men and women in bondage how to read and write. Lucretia Mott, um, abolitionist and woman, uh, were you, did you have problems uh, because of those uh, two roles, or, or women accepted in the abolitionist movement? Uh, far from it, but um, if I may uh, indulge myself a bit, I, I would like to speak also to education, because, as I told you, I was going to school when I was quite young, and then I was sent away to a, a boarding school, a Quaker boarding school. And uh, later in my life, I uh, worked very hard to uh, establish Swarthmore College in uh, Pennsylvania, which is where I ended up with uh, my husband, James Mott. Uh, and education was ever important to, to us. Uh, as far as abolition uh, goes, uh, it was a, a very bumpy road, uh, even among uh, friends. Uh, uh, for many years, the, the Quakers, uh, who I believe uh, were, were uh, well known for their um, uh, sympathy uh, to, to the abolitionist cause, uh, did not wish to publicly engage in it. Uh, and my being a woman uh, did not uh, aid me. Uh, it was uh, women were ridiculed. We were not allowed to uh, preach to what they called uh, promiscuous uh, audiences, uh, men and women at the same time. Uh, we were only uh, supposed to be preaching to other women. And I believe it was because... Um, of my upbringing, uh, where women uh, had their own separate meetings uh, among uh, friends, and because um, we, we were able to uh, speak out of the silence and uh, listen for the word of uh, the Creator, that we were able to uh, move forward. And although there were so many friends who, who were dead set against this, um, we still had um, 
a number of women who would not be uh, silenced. So uh, tell me how you then got into working for women's rights. Well, we began um, slowly, and uh, there were... I, what I always tell tell you is that um, when uh, women wish to proceed, uh, there has to be some man to open a door. Now, there will also, often be ten men on the other side ready to lock it again and keep you out, but there has to be some man or men uh, like Mr. Douglas and uh, like William Lloyd Garrison, who was a, a dear friend of, of both of ours, uh, those men uh, helped us to to proceed uh, and uh, be able to uh, uh, speak uh, of of our, our hearts' concerns. Uh, Frederick Douglass, um, I believe you are a believer in the equality of all peoples, including rights for women. Well, absolutely, and uh, I was listening to. Uh, Mrs. Mott to uh, be so modest in her description of uh, her position uh, as a woman suffered suffragette, and uh, she was much she was a much more formidable adversary than she's uh, letting on. I, I remember the word coming back from the the World Anti-Slavery Convention in in London uh, um, when they would not let her speak, when they would not let Elizabeth Cady. Stanton speak, uh, that she gained the reputation, the lioness of London. <laughs> and so uh, when I met uh, these women, when I moved my family from Lynn, Massachusetts to Rochester, uh, and they were full of fire uh, and ready to, to make a statement about uh, woman suffrage. Uh, and I was invited to the McClintock House where they were drafting the Declaration of Sentiments. And I read the document and was part of the, the drafting. And then when they invited me to uh, that first women's suffrage conference in, in Seneca Falls in July 19th and 20th of, uh, of 1848, then uh, I, was, I was on board for a full long. Um, uh, yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. I am always in awe of Mr. Douglas's memory because I never remember dates very much. Uh, but I, I will talk a bit about the uh, conference, uh, the convention in London. Um, we were uh, designated delegates. In fact, all of the delegates uh, from uh, Pennsylvania, with the exception of my, uh, my James Mott, were, were women. And we were quite shocked when we got there to find out, for one thing, that it wasn't really a world conference at all. It was really just um, Britain and uh, other Europeans and the United States, and the title was much for show. Uh, and um, we, they had in, in advance, uh, with great forethought, uh, drafted uh, an initial resolution that women would not be able to speak. Now, we had come... Uh, across an ocean to do so. And so it did not sit well with us, but uh, we were confined to a gallery. And uh, that was where I met Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Uh, her husband, uh, Henry Stanton, um, had uh, was an abolitionist, and we knew him. He had been at our house for dinner. 
uh, on more than one occasion, and uh, they were on their honeymoon. And I thought it was a bit uh, interesting that uh, he should think such a honeymoon be conducive to uh, a good marriage, but uh, I was so pleased to, to meet uh, young Elizabeth. Uh, she was uh, quickly became uh, part one of our own, and we loved her very much. And uh, all the time we were in, in London, um, I spent uh, time with her, and uh, she was so eager to learn her uh, father had, had been a judge. And she had wanted to be an attorney, but, of course, uh, to no avail. So uh, we had agreed that when we returned to the United States, we would uh, meet and uh, discuss a, a true convention of, of women. And uh, it took uh, eight years. Uh, that had been in 1840. And uh, in 1848, uh, uh, my, my James Martin and myself uh, came out uh, to uh, western New York. Uh, my sister Martha was uh, by then living in Auburn, and uh, we were invited uh, to tea, at, as uh, Mr. Douglas has said, uh, not at the McClintock House, but at the home of, of the Hunts. Um, and they were also... Uh, Friends, members of the Society of Friends, and uh, the, the, there were six of us there, and including uh, Elizabeth Stanton and uh, myself and my sister Martha, and um, we uh, talked about uh, all manner of uh, injustices to women, and uh, we did indeed uh, conclude to hold a convention in. Uh, the Wesleyan Hall in um, Seneca Falls. And it was summer, and we had no idea if anyone at all would show up. And imagine our surprise when on the morning um, uh, set for the uh, gathering, the, the roads were clogged with, with dust because of all the wagons and uh, carriages pouring into town. And when we got to the chapel, uh, it was locked. But there was an enterprising young uh, seminarian, and he crawled in through a window, and he opened the door, and there, there we were. And we had said that the first day would be for women only, but so many men were interested to hear, and they were not unsympathetic. And uh, so we, we let them in, which was more than they would have done for us. <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly true. Uh, Frederick Douglass, um, are, are, I believe in your view, these rights are compatible. Uh, that was not the view of that is not the view of others, right? That uh, you have to focus on abolition or women's rights. Well, certainly there were uh, some uh, men, certainly men, black men in the abolitionist movement, who did not believe uh, that my association affiliation uh, with these white suffragettes. Uh, would uh, would be a long-term thing that we could uh, ride to victory. Uh, but I knew uh, the history of uh, Mrs. Mott. Uh, she, in Philadelphia, uh, established the first uh, uh, female, Philadelphia female abolitionist society, which included black women. Uh, and so I had a great amount of trust in her, as well as Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, 
uh, that we uh, could form a coalition uh, that could make an impact uh, on America uh, for universal suffrage, not just uh, for the black man and woman, but for for uh, black men, black women, and 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 white women as well, who at the time could not own land, could not uh, vote. And so even if their husbands passed away, they were not able to inherit the property of, uh, of their husband. They would have to will that to someone else. Women were considered uh, too fragile to even be concerned about running a business. But as Mrs. Mott has uh, stated, uh, she uh, was well, uh, well endowed to be uh, a person who could handle her own responsibilities. And so, so I push back against those, those uh, abolitionists who thought, that uh, we couldn't work together. We're talking. I, if, I yes, want, go ahead. I want to say that, uh, and thank you for, for that, my, my dear uh, Mr. Douglas. I, I want to say that uh, one of the most important things that happened uh, at that time was the founding of the uh, Philadelphia Female Anti Slavery Society. Uh, and we uh, labored very hard to. Uh, make sure that we were not uh, just white women, uh, as, as you have mentioned. Um, there was one uh, project that, uh, upon which we embarked uh, one year that the society lasted uh, through the Civil War, and one project where we uh, assigned each of the members a district of Philadelphia in which poor black people uh, dwelt. And uh, then that woman would be responsible for uh, ascertaining the needs of the people in that area. And uh, as, as a whole, we would come back together and to talk about what we might do to alleviate the suffering in that particular place. Uh, one of the um, uh, things that happened uh, was that uh, Philadelphians, including the mayor, and the police uh, were, were very much against uh, our society, our women's society. And uh, we decided, I decided, uh, with Mr. Mark con confer con uh, agreeing, that um, we would uh, be inviting uh, people of color to our home. And uh, one of the sadder things that happened was that my mother, with whom we lived, uh, or who lived with us, um, was uh, not easy with this. And, uh, you know, her pr principles uh, warred with her predilections and her prejudices. Uh, but uh, it did not, even my dear mother, uh, uh, for whom I had the greatest admiration and adoration, uh, could not uh, sway me from this course. And uh, being uh, among uh, women who were uh, quite educated and uh, delightful companions uh, did, did a great deal to uh, erase what prejudices I myself might, might have had. Well, very interesting, very interesting. Uh, let's take a break. Um, we are talking on Access Utah today. We're, we're very honored to have with us Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Nathan Richardson, who performs as Frederick Douglass, and Renee Noel Felice, who performs as Lucretia Mott. More following this break. 
You're listening to Access Utah. We are revisiting a program from June of this year. Uh, in June, the 2019 Benyon Teachers Workshop uh, presented uh, an event, Forward Out of Darkness, Gender, Media, and Suffrage in the United States, 1848 to 2019. This uh, was sponsored by the Mountain West Center for Regional Studies and the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And that event was headlined by living historians Nathan Richardson and Renee Noel Felice, who perform as Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, respectively. We have with us on this part of the program Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Nathan Richardson, who performs as Frederick Douglass, and Renee Noel Felice, who performs as Lucretia Mott. To begin this uh, segment, uh, Frederick Douglass, um, I'd like to have you tell uh, us about uh, your escape from slavery and, uh, and, and your feelings uh, upon becoming a free man. Well, I'll be happy to. And, of course, I did try to escape twice. The first time I tried to escape, I had a pact with four of my fellow men in bondage in which we devised a plan. We would write a note that gave us permission to sail on the Chesapeake Bay up to Annapolis, and we would catch a raft and paddle our way to freedom along the Chesapeake Bay to Annapolis. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of us uh, turned out to be a traitor, and we were found out and soon uh, jailed downtown in St. Michael's. I thought at that point I would be sold down south uh, to Mississippi or Alabama, where I would certainly never have returned. Uh, we call that territory the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Any slave born or, or sold uh, to plantations down south would never see the light of day again. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, my master came and bailed me out. Captain Anthony bailed me out and saved me from that fate. Uh, and then I went back, uh, working on the plantation. And then they sent me back to Baltimore uh, with Mr. Mr. Hugh, uh, and he farmed my labor out uh, to uh, one of the shipyards in Bells Point. I learned the trade of a ship's carpenter. And while I was uh, working uh, in this uh, in this uh, shipyard, making about 8 or $9 uh, per week, I would have to give all of that to my master, except for maybe six cents. Occasionally, he had the audacity to hand me back six cents out of $6. And so this was still certainly slavery. And I decided to I would just start devising a plan to escape. And I was attending some uh, meetings, uh, camp meetings, uh, and I met uh, my soon-to-be uh, wife. And uh, we made a plan that I would dress up as a sailor, and uh, and then I would run away. I would catch a train, and that's what I did. I caught a train. I dressed up as a sailor. She stole her bedpost uh, to help me raise some funds to, to buy a sailor suit. Uh, I used uh, not uh, the usual uh, free papers, freedom papers, but I used a sailor's card, which just had an eagle and, and the name of the sailor on it. Uh, to uh, perpetuate my escape. And when I got boarded that train, shaking like a leaf, uh, when the conductor came and asked me for my freedom papers, I looked him in the face and I said, well, sir, uh, I'm a sailor. I do not carry my freedom papers to sea. I do have my, my sailor's papers. And I flashed the eagle at him, and he let me pass. And so I caught that train uh, from 
from Annapolis to Baltimore and then a ship and ended up in New York. And once I arrived in New York, uh, then I was faced with a whole other situation I had never faced before. You know, with, with freedom comes responsibilities. I was there in New York with uh, food everywhere, with lodging everywhere, but no money to purchase any of it. And no one that I could trust, even black men uh, in that big city of New York, uh, could not be trusted. Uh, there were uh, bounty hunters everywhere looking for runaway slaves. I had to be very careful who I might confide in to say I'm a runaway slave. And so um, I was very, uh, very apprehensive about speaking to anyone. But I eventually made my way uh, to, to New Bedford, my wife and I. Uh, and that's how I, that's how I escaped from slavery. And you've, you've said that uh, something to the effect of uh, one day of freedom was worth a, a year as a slave. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I prayed for 20 years for my freedom. It was not until I prayed with my feet that I actually attained my freedom. <laughs> I think there's a scripture that goes along with that, the faith without works is dead. And so uh, I certainly prayed for my freedom. Uh, I remember sitting on the banks of the Chesapeake Bay and looking at the white sails, the billowing sails of ships sailing up and down the Chesapeake Bay, and in those sails I saw my freedom. If I could just be on the deck of one of those ships, I would one day uh, find my way out. Uh, and I can remember times when I was certainly, uh, my spirit was broken, uh, and I I realized that either I would die a slave or, or die trying to, to escape, and so I chose the latter. Mm. Lucretia Mott, it, it occurred, of course, Frederick Douglass is known as a great orator. Um, I wonder if you could talk about how finding your voice and that occurs to me this this fight of course it came to you know physical fight civil war um but but this this fight for um for abolition for women's suffrage was uh, was words it's persuading people well for me uh i was uh, as i told you uh, i always uh, thought that uh, nantucket was paradise and uh, among uh, Quakers, um, one sits in um, expectant waiting upon the Lord. And uh, when I was quite young, uh, finding my voice was not the problem. They called me long tongue. Uh, I was a very um, uh, forceful young, young woman, and I had a lot to say, and I was not uh, shy about saying it. But... Um, they told me that um, I needed to curb my tongue, not to find it. And um, one time I was um, sitting in, in friends' meeting, and uh, one of the elders, um, who was a woman, uh, spoke of uh, God's giving uh, Joseph um, in Egypt uh, the strength to endure. And uh, I thought, that is, is what I need. I need to pray more, uh, to, to uh, hold my tongue until um, the time is, is right to use it uh, wisely and well. And uh, God will give me that strength if I ask for it. And I needed um, a token, uh, a, a reminder um, of, of my commitment to, to that. And um, I went home, and I had uh, recently acquired a, a pair of, of shoes, and the shoes had the most beautiful blue bows on them. 
and I cut off the bows um, so that every time I looked down at my feet, I would see a, a tangible uh, reminder to speak only when uh, I do, did believe that um, my creator was uh, prompting me. And uh, I tried to follow that principle uh, through my entire life, uh, to speak only when the Spirit uh, moved me. Let's be beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Frederick Douglass, I want to ask you about about dialogue. There, I think you uh, had some opposition to um, talking, engaging with uh, with slave owners. And uh, you have a famous quote, I would unite with anybody to do right and with nobody to do wrong. Yes, uh, I believed in dialogue. Uh, we talked before about uh, the opposition for me working with the white women of the women's suffrage. Uh, there were many who criticized me throughout uh, my time as an abolitionist, even uh, when I uh, talked to Abraham Lincoln, when uh, when I lobbied to have uh, soldiers, black soldiers, fight on the side of the Union. Uh, and, and so it's important uh, that although we have uh, differences, uh, that we can form coalitions uh, that can do bigger things. And of course, uh, with Abraham Lincoln, his main objective was to, to save the Union, uh, while our objective was to become free men. And so we found a coalition that eventually proved itself. Of course, you have to be cautious. You have to be cautious. Uh, you have to make sure uh, that your principles are, are being adhered to, but nevertheless, you can form a coalition to make gains and we made great gains with the women's suffrage movement uh, in partnership with uh, our great liberator, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, we saved the Union, uh, the, the Emancipation Proclamation, and uh, following that, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And so we would not have been able to make these great gains without some sort of a coalition of stepping across lines uh, to... to, to uh, have a dialogue uh, and discuss matters of great importance uh, to the freedom of men and the universal suffrage of all men and women. I'd like to, um, as we draw near the end of our segment with Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, um, I'd like to bring uh, bring the conversation forward to today, 2019. Uh, Lucretia Mott, what would you say about uh, gains that have been made, but uh, I guess gains that are fragile? I have no idea what is going on in 2019. <laughs> uh, I can only tell tell thee that uh, I was hopeful. Um, I I was uh, I lived uh, from 1793 to uh, 1880, and I saw many changes. Uh, I saw women uh, in in medicine. My my own physician Anne Preston. Uh, was a graduate of a school, that a medical school that we founded in, in Philadelphia. I, I saw women uh, practicing at the bar. I saw um, uh, women uh, uh, ordained in, in other denominations. Um, and, and I do believe that uh, although uh, progress is not a linear, 
and uh, there is always a backsliding. I, I do believe that um, the human race uh, uh, is is headed, uh, was headed in my time at any rate, um, in, in the right direction. But I would caution that um, what I have heard about uh, what's going on here is that um, you live in, in a culture of complaint. People are never satisfied. And I have heard that uh, you live in a culture of celebrity, uh, and there is a great danger in that. And so I would say uh, to, to thy listeners, um, if thee has uh, a concern, uh, do not uh, complain about it, but ask thyself, what is thee doing about it? Mm, great, great advice, Frederick Douglass. Uh, same question. Uh, from what you know of 2019, um, looking ahead from you know, say the 1890s, what uh, what would you say? Well, I have had some uh, remarkable privileges to to visit the the uh, the modern era uh, as we are today, uh, and uh, what I have gained from those brief glimpses of this modern era. Uh, is that uh, American society uh, does not uh, value the Constitution. Uh, and they do not have a good knowledge uh, of the Constitution, of the U.S. Constitution, and the preamble that guarantees us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One of the things that changed my trajectory uh, was my departure from the philosophy of the Garrisonians, uh, William Watt Garrison, was that the Constitution was a flawed document and that it should be torn up and rewritten. Fortunately, I'm, I was a Negro who could read and write, and when I read the Constitution, I saw that it was not uh, a slavery document. Uh, and so uh, when I am back uh, talking to a, a 21st century audience, a modern-era audience, and I ask them about the 13th and 14th Amendments, when I ask them, have women gotten the right to vote yet? And they say yes. And then I say, well, what amendment brought that about? Uh, and if they cannot answer that question, then it proves therein uh, that uh, their knowledge of the Constitution and their value of the Constitution has diminished greatly from our time uh, in the 19th century. And so therein might be some of the problems uh, when you don't value your Constitution uh, that you find yourself in somewhat of a predicament. Finally, for this segment, I'd, I'd love to, if, uh, Frederick Douglass, if you have anything you'd like to say or ask of Lucretia Mott and, and vice versa. Start with Frederick Douglass. Well, uh, Miss Lucretia, we uh, have a long journey ahead of us, certainly. Uh, we, we need to start today if we're going to make it out to Utah. <laughs> the train will be leaving. <laughs> the train will be leaving uh, Cedar Hill in Washington. Mm. Uh, tomorrow morning, I think we'll get there on time. So I just wish you safe travels, and I look forward to to, uh, to uh, seeing you again after so many years and, and having a great discussion. Well, I, I, I thank thee, my dear friend. Um, and, and I would say to, to thee, I, I have no question, but, but I would say to thee that um, uh, I, am, I am grateful I was grateful at the time and, and remain so that uh, to, to thee for uh, thy forbearance. Uh, we tested thee uh, hard, heartily 
uh, on a number of occasions, and uh, some of us uh, said things that were intemperate and were cruel and, and painful for thee to hear. And so I would, uh, on behalf of all of us, uh, tender my apologies to thee for, for that and to tell thee how much we valued and, and cherished thee all of those years and uh, that thee was um, a, a good friend to my sister Martha um, of whom I believe not uh, is much known, but Martha Coffin uh, Wright was, uh, like myself, uh, a great um, supporter of uh, both abolition and suffrage, and she lived in uh, Auburn, New York, and uh, she welcomed thee uh, to her home when others would not. And so I, I thank thee for that, too. Well, we uh, will take a break. When we come back, we'll say goodbye to Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott. So, Frederick Douglass, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you joining us. I bid you good day, fellow citizens. And Lucretia Mott, thank you so much. It's been an honor. It, it was an honor for me. Uh, all of this, uh, what does the call it, technology, <laughs> uh, is a little uh, bewildering. But uh, I thank thee for the opportunity uh, of, of sharing uh, our history. With, with people in, in your, your time. Well, thank you. We have about uh, nine or ten minutes left in the program. When we come back from break, we'll welcome in Nathan Richardson, who performs as uh, Frederick Douglass, and Renee Noel-Felice, who performs as Lucretia Mott. Uh, we'll ask him uh, what that's like and uh, several other questions. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah, where we're visiting a program from June. We uh, talked with living historians Nathan Richardson and Renee Noel Felice uh, ahead of an event at USU in conjunction with the 2019 Benyon Teachers Workshop. That event was titled Forward Out of Darkness, Gender, Media, and Suffrage in the United States, 1848 to 2019. And uh, this event was uh, in the Benny Teachers Workshop, was uh, sponsored by the Mountain West Center for Regional Studies and the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment, and uh, we have said goodbye to Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, but uh, we welcome in Nathan Richardson, who performs as Frederick Douglass, and uh, Renee Noel Felice, who performs as uh, Lucretia Mott. Uh, Nathan Richardson is a performance poet and Frederick uh, Douglass historian. He captures the physical and spiritual essence of the former slave writer, orator, and abolitionist. He sought to expand voting enfranchisement. Um, and no, Renee Noel Felice has been performing living history for over 20 years, bringing to life experiences of Lucretia Mott and her fight for women's voting uh, rights. Uh, so let me start with Nathan Richardson. Um, understand. Uh, we don't want to use the word reenactor, living historian. Is that the correct term? Yes, uh, living history historian uh, certainly uh, is, is a good way. An interpreter, uh, certainly not an actor. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, are you an actor? And, and I said, well, no, I'm not an actor. I never studied acting, uh, but uh, definitely have uh, become a student of history, a student uh, and understudy. I call myself of Frederick Douglass and uh, his life and 
his narrative and the things he accomplished in his lifetime. Uh, why Frederick Douglass? Why did you choose him to concentrate on? Well, I was challenged by a good friend of mine, Sheila Arnold, who's, uh, who's a very talented uh, storyteller here in Virginia, to do a historical character, and she didn't tell me who. And, and when I started looking uh, throughout the, uh, the uh, pantheon of, of African-American uh, uh, abolitionists, uh, I, I fell upon Frederick Douglass because he, we had some sort of an appearance. Uh, and then when I started reading his, his work, his speeches, his letters, I found out that his, his language was very poetic, uh, uh, which I am a poet, a spoken word performer. So I gravitated to that as much as I did uh, the fact that I could, could get uh, close to his physical appearance. And Rene Noel Felice, um, why Lucretia Mott? Well, I, I had been doing living history for a number of years, um, uh, and I had been uh, also for a number of years a member of the Society of Friends. So I knew something about her, and uh, I just longed to, uh, to portray her. Um, she, I, I uh, read uh, Margaret Hope Bacon's book, Valiant Friend, uh, and um, she just was the embodiment of a lot of things in, in which I believed. So um, I was uh, working at uh, uh, Seneca Falls, um, the um, uh, Women's Rights uh, National Historic Park, and uh, I was portraying another uh, very underappreciated uh suffragist uh, named uh, Matilda Jocelyn Gage. And um, they, I was told that there would be a big anniversary, um, 200th uh, birthday celebration for Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and uh, Mrs. Stanton herself invited Mrs. Gage. And I said, well, I, of course uh, Mrs. Gage will come, but you know you can't have a birthday celebration without Lucretia Mott. And uh, uh, Melinda Gruby, who portrays Stanton uh, absolutely uh, flawlessly, uh, said, well, of, of course um, we should have Mrs. Mott, and will you do it? And uh, <laughs> of course I was going to do it. <laughs> was why I brought it up in the first place. So that's how I became uh, Lucretia Mott. Mm. We just have about uh, two or three minutes uh, left. Um, uh, so final question uh, to you both. I'll start with Nathan Richardson. Um, what, what do you hope people take away uh, from your performance when you perform as uh, Frederick Douglass? Well, I, I say this all the time, that living history uh, uh, enables... Uh, audiences, students, uh, teachers, faculty, uh, to uh, see the character uh, in a way that the traditional lectures don't. Of course, both of us, we get our information, we get our research from the scholars who do all the, all the intensive labor. Uh, but when you put, uh, when you do a performance of Frederick Douglass or Lucretia Mott or Susan B. Anthony, whoever, uh, it's done in a in a vocabulary in a vernacular that really captures the imagination of the average citizen, uh, and so for me uh, that's an exciting thing to be uh, in a middle school or in a high school or even in, in the college setting, the university setting, or in, in the corporate setting, and and see 
see the audience come alive uh, and their imagination captured by these by these uh, characters. So that that's the biggest thing for me. About a minute left, um, Renee Noel. Police, same question to you. What um, what do you hope people take away when they get to know Lucretia Mott better through your performance? Well, I I hope that uh, they will understand uh, what women uh, experienced, what they went through, how hard they, they their lives were. Those women were, this is a word that is never used in, in, um, in history, but it's a very common word now, and that's volunteer. Those women were volunteers for over 40 years, not just Mrs. Mott, but uh, Mrs. Gage and Mrs. Stanton and Miss Anthony and uh, Martha Wright and uh, Paulina Wright Davis and uh, so many other women, Belva Lockwood, um, all of those women um, whose names are not household words now um, volunteered their time, their money, their um, energy, their intelligence to make this a better world. And I hope that... um, uh, nowadays, when people see Mrs. Mott or, or Mrs. Gage, uh, they they understand uh, what their heritage is. They understand the sacrifices that were made so that they might have the opportunities that they enjoy. But more than that, I I hope that they understand that those privileges are not inviolable. That those the rights that they have that we fought, those women fought for, uh, can be taken away at any time. And that they themselves have to continue to be warriors. Because women, even today, are not always well served. That's a, a great uh, place to end uh, the program. Uh, we've been talking with Renee Noel Felice, who uh, performs as Lucretia Mott. Uh, thank you so much. It's been such a great pleasure. I think I'm a little odd because, to me, this is the best fun there is to have. <laughs> yeah, for thank me as well. Thank you so much. Uh, Nathan Richardson, thank, thank you, you so much. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah Today.